Amen. Thank you very much. All right. The book of Acts, chapter 16 this morning. Starting there in verse number 6, we looked last week at the first five verses as this missionary journey began. Verse number 6, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathered that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony. And we were in that city, uh, in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. We sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful unto the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly do love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, I ask your blessing upon the message today. Lord, I pray that you would control what I say and how I say it. I pray that it would be clear. Lord, that your word would work on hearts and have that free course to instruct us, to draw us closer to you. That even in the text we're looking at, Lord, that you would meet needs to encourage, to comfort what's needed, to reprove, rebuke, convict, whatever is needed, Lord. Draw us closer. May we leave here different than when we came in. Lord, I pray there's anyone here who has never truly been converted. I pray for that conviction and for that drawing on their heart that perhaps even this morning they would repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Lord, please, I pray for your help and your mercy and your grace. Please work. Lord, I pray and ask all of this in the name of our Lord. Amen. All right. Let's jump into this here. Paul, again, is into a second missionary journey. It has begun. This is a man truly on a mission. I mean, he's the one who began this. He wanted to get right into this when they're in Antioch. And Paul truly sees himself, as we see in different places in Scripture, in Romans and 1 Corinthians, he views himself as a debtor, uh, as a debtor to the world and to God, knowing what he possesses in salvation, with that understanding of what Christ did when it saved him. And Paul, knowing, uh, knowing what he was responsible for before his salvation, I mean, he saw himself as this debtor and the importance of getting this message out to the world. 
Oh, that we would see ourselves in the same way. Throughout the ministry of Paul, we see his motivation was the fact of being a debtor. And of course, number one, his lo- the love of Christ constraining him because he loved God. What I want to use from our text this morning in, in this portion of Acts chapter 16 is to focus on the will of God. I debated which way to go with this, and, and I'm certain that this is it. it. It just really began to develop. I was going to try and contrast two, two women, even take it further into the text, between one, this religious woman of Lydia who was a worshiper of God as compared to the woman who was possessed. But I want to use this opportunity to see what we learn from Paul on this missionary journey when it comes to the will of God. Thursday during homeschool chapel, um, my furnace had went out early that morning. And so I'd call Daniel, let him know if they, could, if they have a chance that day to send a technician. I'd get home around 1 o'clock, but he called me about 11.50 or so, and homeschool chapel is going on. He said, listen, I actually have a technician at your house right now, but nobody was home. And so I said, I'll head that way now. So what I went to do is I went to... Uh, on my phone, I have this app that can open my garage door so he can begin working. But I haven't used that thing since the, the garage door was installed. Then it was pretty neat. I was always using my app to open my garage doors. And, but I haven't used it since. They know just when I get home, I hit the button and I open it up and that's it. So, so I got this app I can open up so he can begin working. And I, I couldn't remember the password. I am trying over and over and over. I just, nope. N- eh, 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 uh-uh. And finally, I'm home. And I just hit the button when I'm in the garage to open the door. For some, when it comes to God's will in their life and knowing it, they're like me trying to open that garage door with that app. It's just not working. You basically forgot the password. Passwords, as we're going to see as we go through our text today, are things like faith and surrender. But we try our own understanding, and it says declined. We try our own works, and it says declined. Or we try skipping around it, but it just won't work when it comes to God's will. Many of us, in truth, want to know what God has for us. Too often, though, we just want some stuff from God, and that's how we perceive the will of God. Hopefully we'd have the mindset like we see in the Apostle Paul in our text, and even the example of our Lord and Savior. Lord, not my will be done, but thy will. Paul was a man, as we're going to see, he never fought the Lord's direction. Even though the Lord had very different plans than Paul's. As a Christian, we want, to, we want God's direction. We want to know His will. But for many, they can make it much more difficult than find than what is necessary. Understand this. I've said this many times. God does not hide His will from you. God wants to direct your life. He wants to use you. That's all of us from Jerry Jordan, the computer geek over there, who just recently found an opening of the door that the Lord had directed in an amazing way in a completely another location. Just in God's providence and His sovereignty directed, the door was opened. To the military member. I think of how the... I have nine years in the Air Force as a Christian, as a Christian who has yielded to God and surrendered to the Lord during that time. And how the Lord used that in His sovereignty to direct in my life. Now, that does not mean, Levi, that you're going to the military, just so you know. I'm just saying that right now. (laughs) 
But the Lord does direct to the stay-at-home mom who is working with her children. The Lord directs. Paul, as we're going to get into this, we're going to see Paul thought God's will was one thing, when in fact that wasn't true at all. It was something else entirely. Truth is, I don't think you'll find one person in the Bible where God made it hard for them to know his will. There were many times when God had to wait until a certain time, and so be it. God's timing is always best. It took time, not because God wanted to hide it from them and they weren't finding it. It was God's sovereignty at work, knowing what they needed and the people that they were going to bring them before needed. But we have to be careful because many times we simply want God's will to be our will. Now you're dealing with the heart problem. So, in our text, let's learn something about God's will here this morning. I'm going to put it in three, three different areas right here. Number one, we're going to look at God's prodding, God's providing, and God's providence. First off, let's look at God's prodding, how God prods or how God directs. Let's look at verses 6 through 9 one more time. Now, when they had gone through... Uh, Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. And after they were coming to Mysia, they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. So here's Paul. He begins his travels. He had clear vision of what Paul, in his mind, he knew what God wanted. This is a man who is surrendered to God, who is following God, who is right in his life. Yet, what he thinks God wants, the Apostle Paul is wrong. I think it's comforting to know that even the Apostles were not always clear as to God's will for their ministries. Yet, what we see in Paul is how even in our limited knowledge, in this sinful flesh, that God directs. Paul thought for certain he knew what the Lord wanted. Josiah, would we go ahead and get that first picture up, please? I'm going to show you, the, what the, this is actually a map of the second missionary journey here. So I want you to see what Paul thought was going to take place and why it makes sense. All right, over here you have Antioch, here, right here. All right, this is, the, this is that church that just exploded. This was Paul and Barnabas had pastored. Um, Jerusalem's way down here. All right, so they're here. They went back. They settled the issue. And so the second missionary journey begins. Barnabas and John Mark had into Cyprus. Paul and Silas. Um, they had out there to come, go backwards of the way through it. You know, the road would take them right through his hometown of Tarsus. And they come into Derby and Lystra. So they're back in those churches. Remember, we saw last week God's providing here because they come across a certain young man that would be key in Paul's life the rest of his days, and that is Timothy. 
And so Paul follows up with his churches from Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. We looked at all that last week. So here's Paul. He's finishing up in Antioch of Pisidia, and he's ready to go west. And you can understand why. Look at the cities that are here. Laodicea, Philadelphia, Sardis, Smyrna, this major town right here, Ephesus. So in Paul's mind, it just makes sense. He's already covered this direction. He's heading here. He's heading west. He heads into Phrygia, which I looked it up. That's actually how you say that. Um, he's heading that direction. And however the Holy Spirit did it, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But God closed the door. It wasn't happening. So Paul then, only way he can really go, there's no reason to go back east. He can't go directly west. So he starts to head north. And he thinks it's going to be into Bithynia up here. So what well, must be Bithynia where the Lord wants me. So as he tried to head into this region here, nope. He heads up north to Bithynia. He gets up in here. And the Holy Spirit once again says, this isn't it. So now the Bible describes that it comes along this border basically here with Mishia and Bithynia. And he's just traveling west waiting for something to take place. Well, what happens is he runs out of room. He gets to Troas. But little does he know that's right where God wants him. That's exactly where he needed to be. Was right there in that town of Troas. Just leave that picture up for me. I'm going to leave it up for the bulk of this time frame. <clears throat> I mean, again, you could see why Paul wanted to head into Asia Minor with those. So you can see his mind, why he thought God would direct that way. But the truth is, God, pla- God had plans for all those cities. But it was in another time frame altogether. It wasn't right now. Paul wants to head into, by the way, this area here in today's, if you're, if you're not aware of this, I think it will help you out a lot. This is modern-day Turkey. Asia Minor is really what this is. This is modern-day Turkey right here. This is Greece. You're heading into Europe right here. This is Greece. You've got Patmos down here, some different key places um, that, that should come to mind when we look through this. Again, Paul wanted to head into this area, but the Holy Spirit doesn't allow it. But the truth is, God knows exactly what he's doing. Paul was trusting the Lord the entire time. He didn't stop after it closes in Bithynia, after the door closed. Well, the Lord's done with me. I'm just going back to Antioch. He didn't question God. God, what are you doing? He didn't all of a sudden throw a a pity party and want to become a victim. He just stayed faithful. All right. I'm going to keep going. Till he got to Troas. God kept closing doors. Paul would think it must be this area. God shut the door. The Lord does that. You should be glad that he does. You want him to do that. uh, An incident came to my mind where God had really closed the door and I didn't even know it. When I knew the Lord was beginning to lead us back from PNG, we had no idea. It never even occurred to me back here. I remember I, there, there were certain places that would come to mind that I thought, I, I wonder what the Lord's going to do when, when word gets out, if this is the Lord's will, that we are done with this here in PNG. Again, this is before. Remember, I called Pastor Roach, believing the Lord was already leading us out, before he ever told me what the church was, the, the leadership in the church was already praying about me coming back. Now, I didn't know that. So let's fast forward a little bit to something the church doesn't know. So after we have the church vote, I go to make some calls to certain churches immediately to let them know I'd be leaving New Guinea. Certain key churches were not going to find out in a letter from me. I wanted them to know personally from me. One of those was Pastor Bird in New Mexico. Now remember, I started praying about returning the October previously. All right? 
And so I told Pastor Bird, and he first goes, no. He goes, ah, why didn't I make the call? He said, last November, I was going to call you that I was retiring out of this church and wanted you to come here. Do you know what the Lord did with that? He shut the door. He shut the door right there to it. The Lord directs. Now, it's a lot warmer in New Mexico right now. It was not below zero yesterday in Alamogordo, New Mexico, just so you know. And yes, that came to my mind while I was studying this. <laughs> but I wouldn't have Bob there. I mean, what would I do without Bob? <laughs> the Lord opens doors and he shuts doors when it comes to his will. Now, I want you to think about this. It's true in our own life. It was true in the Apostle Paul. Notice what God protects us from, our limited knowledge. He protects us from our own limited knowledge, from our own limited understanding. The key is staying surrendered and walking by faith. I want you to think of verses that are key to knowing the will of God for your life. Verses that, that we quote all the time. Verses like Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Um, look not, uh, lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. The key isn't you having the perfect understanding and perfect knowledge. It's just trusting by faith and being yielded. You know what God will do in return? Direct. He'll direct. You can think of a verse that we use as God meeting our needs, like Matthew 6, because that is the context of it. That's proper. Where it says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. But it's also more than that. That's a verse we could use to teach on knowing the will of God. Just simply seek God. The key is not knowing exactly where to go or exactly what to do. The key is being yielded to God. Paul followed God. If, if the door was shut, you don't see Paul forcing it open. The door was shut. Okay, I'll go on. Well, let me look. Looking at the map, he said, I can't go west. It must be north. So he heads up into Bithynia. Nope. All right, Lord, I'm running out of territory here. And so he heads further west. Gets to the coast. Right where God wanted him. So Paul arrives at this place, Troas. God's going to give him a vision while he's there. Paul is still confused. He's not understanding. He's seen all these people in Asia Minor. He, has, he sees himself as a debtor. He knows the importance of the gospel. And, and the Lord takes him all the way to the coast. He skipped all these areas in his mind. And he gets to Troas. This was a, a city actually named Troas Alexander after Alexander the Great. It became very well known. It's only about 10 miles from Troy, which I'm sure we're aware of from the Trojans and everything that came with that. Really, that whole territory there is, is really pretty famous in, in world history from Troy and the, and the Trojan War, all this coastline here. There's so much that happened in world history right in this area. And Paul is right there in the middle of all of it right now. So Paul is in this port city, and a vision comes from God. 
Paul sees in a vision a man of Macedonia, Europe, in Greece, asking him to come over and help us. He knows. Paul's there. God gives the vision. Here's this man. It's Macedonia. It's Europe. And Paul immediately, he knows this is God's will. I know it. We have to get into Macedonia. Paul now knows exactly why God shut all those doors. He never knew when he left Antioch he was going into Macedonia. That never occurred to him. But as he stayed yielded to God and walked by faith, the time came when the Lord knew Paul's ready for it now. Now we're going to see, and I get into the next point, why, other reasons why Paul needed him in Troas. Listen, the day will come if you are saying surrender to the Lord that you will understand why the Lord closed all those doors in the past. And open the ones that he did. What I love about Paul's example in this is he was, he was, he was serving God. He never fought God. You don't hear him complaining, you know, saying, you know these areas need the gospel. I'm just going to head in there. I know better than God. Or I'm just not, I just got to force these things open. That's all. No. Paul yielded to God. Even though it was very different than how Paul thought this would work out. This shows us another major key when it comes to the will of God. Listen, this is so important. We see this over and over in the Apostle Paul. I think it's my favorite attribute about his life. For the Apostle Paul, it was never about Paul. It was always about God. That's why when his will was shut down, he was fine with it. It wasn't about him. If it's not what God wants, good, then I don't want that. We, don't, we get so set in our minds about something, and then all of a sudden the door closes... And it's like we can't make the shift of thinking to make it simply about God. Because too often, and it's so easy, I get into it too. We can get into where life is about us. But it's about Him. That's why when Paul's in prison and he writes an epistle to the church at Philippi, we're going to look at about joy. How could he do that? Because life was about God. That had never changed in his life. Because the door shut uh, from heading into uh, Phrygia, he didn't care. I, 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 I can't get to Ephesus. He, Lord, what do you want? Okay, I'll head up to Bithynia. It's not here. All right, I'll keep on going. Because it was about God. Please don't think your understanding is better than God's. It's not. We see this really throughout, this principle of God's will throughout the Bible. We're not going to turn there for time's sake. I have, I have a lot more to cover. But we see God even telling Israel through Moses, If thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou shalt seek him with all thy heart and all thy soul. It's seeking God is the key. Not a place, not a thing to do. It's seeking God. That's what makes it easier for him to direct, open the doors, close the doors. Seek the Lord. Psalm 119 deals with, uh, blessed are that seek him when you're seeking God with your whole heart. 
Hosea chapter 6. I'm going to read this one. You don't have to turn there. I'm there already. Yeah. Verse number 3. Then shall we know. Get this. If we follow on to know the Lord. I, I, really, I could just stop there with that verse. Then shall we know. Then I'll have what I need. If what? We follow on to know what? What to do, where to go? No. To know the Lord. To seek Him. That's what it's about. It's about God. The key to God's will really is simple. It's seeking Him and His will and not yours. Again, had Paul, had Paul not had the mindset of his will needing to be all about God, he might have just headed right into Asia Minor and said, listen, I know I got this wrong. I am opening this door up. They're not going to stop me. Ephesus needs this. I'm heading there. He never did that. He took it. Doors closed. We're forbidden of the Holy Spirit. We're not going. From this, this takes us now from God's prodding, getting him where he needs to be, now God's providing. Look at verses 10 through 12 in our text. He has the vision. Verse 10 now. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samotha, uh, Thracia. And the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. So now we see God providing. When it comes to when you're yielded to God and you're following his direction, going in the doors he opens, avoiding the doors that he closes, you're going to have his provision in this way. Paul responds immediately, which I like. They're going to head out right away. And by the way, there just happens to be a ship ready to go right away. Did you notice that? But more so than that, we see two things that God gives here. A partner and a place. I want you to notice some wording in verse number 10 that has changed for the first time in the book of Acts. And after he had seen the vision, immediately the pronoun changes to we. Guess who he met in Troas? Luke. Do you know why he wanted him to get to Troas? There's somebody Paul needed. Paul had no idea when he left Antioch. Luke, who is a doctor, Paul meets him there. Luke would be the man that would end up basically recording Paul's journeys. He would be the, he's the author of... Of the, of the epistle that God used to write here, the historical book of the, New Text, of, of the New Testament Acts, as well as going to be a writer of one of the four Gospels. So Paul provides another partner. He, think of the team that God has now assembled. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. It's a pretty strong team to be establishing churches. Luke would be key. And what's interesting is, as now you look through where Luke is with Paul and when he isn't. It's interesting. Because it appears as if 
Luke, well, not appears, he stays in Philippi. So it's likely that the guy that Paul left in charge at the church in Philippi is going to be Luke. And then we're going to see Luke picking up with Paul again, going at, I think it's Acts chapter 20. When he's leaving the Macedonian area, Luke's back with him again. It's back to we. You see him getting Luke again. And what's interesting is this. Many of the people uh, that I was reading and preparing for this message were, uh, there was a, a fairly common agreement that they all believed he was from Philippi, Luke. Because of how he described it, him staying there, all that went about it, many of them considered if there was one likely place that Luke was from, it's Philippi. So God provided another partner for the team in Luke. God also provided the exact place. So, here's their journey. He gets to Troas. Luke is there as well. They get in the boat. They're going to come right to this side. It's 150 miles right there. They're going to, it takes two days. So they're going to overnight here so they don't kind of go at night. And this was interesting. There was one, there's only one that I found that said it, so I'm going to assume it's credible. But this little island that they stopped overnight at was a prison colony. Um, where many prisoners would be left. It was like a mini-Australia of its day. <laughs> and so then the next day they come into Neapolis, which was the port city for Philippi. All right? Philippi is just 10 miles from Neapolis right there. So this is the journey he took right here. They get to Neapolis and they, they hike on in. They walk on into Philippi uh, once they arrive. Philippi of course, is in Macedonia. Macedonia had four parts to it. This was a chief city of one of those four parts. It was named after Alexander the Great's father. Alexander the Great's father, when he'd ruled in this area, had take, this city was under a different name, but it was, I guess, just falling to pieces. He rebuilt it, established it, and it was named, the city was renamed to Philippi in honor of him. It's actually a very famous location in world history. I really didn't recognize this before studying this week. It was, it was the place of many different civil wars of the Romans. Um, the decisive battle between Brutus and Antony took place here. This is also where Brutus killed himself. So it had quite the history there at Philippi. You can actually, I actually looked them up on eBay. They're about 600 bucks. You can actually get a Roman coin from this very time frame that has, has an inscription to Philippi, this city right in it. It was a Roman colony which made it a Rome away from Rome. There was a lot of benefits to being named as a Roman colony. It came primarily with three major privileges in addition to the citizens being considered Roman. The three major privileges of a Roman colony where it was self-governing and independent of the provincial government it sat in. They had their own, they had their own uh, government that controlled it, and the leaders of those were the magistrates. Not only were they self-governing, but if you're a Roman colony, you were tax-free. You did not have to pay taxes to the Roman government. And thirdly, you had the right of land ownership in a Roman colony. <clears throat> so Philippi, it's, it's, a, it's a major player. It was also um, along a major Roman route. Uh, let's go, go, go ahead and go to that second slide, Josiah. The Ignatia... <clears throat> All right, let's come back over. Get a reposition here. This once you come over into this, 
Well, I'll start it right where we're at instead of going here. So here we are at Naples and Philippi right here. And this roadway right here was built by hand by the Romans. Now, they built it pretty much for their military, for conquering logistics and everything else. But you can see Philippi, Thessalonica. We dealt with this before when we got into Thessalonica. That's sitting right here. Um, Philippi, Thessalonica. And it sits right around this route, which also makes Philippi a very important location because it is going to be a crossroads. It's going to be well-traveled. There's going to be travelers coming in and out of it. And then you get into another, another one, the Appia right here, which is also built by the Romans that would travel through. So it's right along a major route. You can go back to the other slide. Put the other slide back up there, please. <clears throat> so again, you can see the Lord directing to a key city for the continent of Europe. Now, that brings us to our third point in God's providence. Let's look at 13, back to our text in verse number 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. We sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto those things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, if ye, have, uh, if ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So when it comes to God's will, we see God priding his directing. Then we saw God... God's provision in their life by providing Luke, by giving the exact location of Philippi, with how important that city was to begin this mission. And now we get to see his providence and his sovereignty really at work. Because God has so much in place, really, for a church to be established very quickly in Philippi. They're there, the Bible says, certain days... Paul waits until the Sabbath day. Ministry begins. Now, we can tell from our text that the Jewish population had to be very small in Philippi. There's no synagogue there. Paul would have went into a synagogue on a Sabbath day. There's no synagogue there. And it was required anyhow. That's why we think the population was small of Jewish men, because you had to have at least ten men in order to start a synagogue. And we don't even see any men here at the riverside meeting for a prayer on the Sabbath day. And that was common. If there was no synagogue, usually they would go to a water source, a river to try and meet, and it would become a common location. Many times they would build a wall, some type of structure for meeting, and they would always choose water. One, because of, you know, think of the ceremony and cleansing and, and, and how important that would be. So they usually chose a location near water uh, when it was possible. So Paul heads there, and sure enough, there are women meeting there uh, um, who are praying and talking. It is here that Paul will meet Lydia. And it's in meeting Lydia that we see God's providence and his sovereignty at work. Lydia is from the city of Thyatira, which was located in the province called Lydia. Thus, they probably named after her own province. And we see our text tells us that she worshipped God. So we know that this Gentile woman has rejected the paganism, the polytheism that she grew up with and chose to seek the true God. This likely took place while she was in Thyatira because they, we do know there was a large synagogue that existed there. She is very similar in all that we're seeing take place here in Acts chapter 10 to Cornelius. 
A woman who truly feared God, who wanted to know truth. She was genuinely seeking what was right. And look at all that God put together so that she could hear truth. Here is a successful businesswoman from Thyatira. Where she's from is even known for what she was selling, the purple dye. More than likely, she was in, being that she traveled there, her position, her household, she was in charge of some type of branch that was set up in Philippi. The dye was extremely expensive. It was made for the wealthy, these purple garments that were used. used uh, uh, they, they would use this dye to make those purple garments. Very vibe. They had a cheaper version that was made from a root, but mostly it was made from a shellfish. And so we see that Lydia's business was turning a very nice profit. Enabled her to have a large enough house to have all those men stay with her. As well as we see at the end of Acts chapter 16, her house is where the church met. So think about this. God brings her all the way from Thyatira into Greece, into Macedonia, to the city of Philippi. Little does she know God's sovereignty in her life. Because God's going to bring about this team of missionaries to come in to hear truth. It truly is incredible. She was seeking truth. She was seeking the true God. And sure enough, here comes somebody to bring her truth. And if you think about it, I mean, it's incredible. You just love how God works. This Lydia will be the first convert in Europe. We learn from this. When people seek truth, God responds. The argument of, well, what about those in the deepest part of Africa? It makes no sense. If you are seeking truth, God will work and that person will hear. We see it throughout Scripture. We see it in Romans chapter 1. If you're genuinely seeking truth, God always responds to that. You respond to the light is given, God always gives more light. We can see that when, even when you've heard the testimony of that group in Soho and that was meeting. You know how they had met every Thursday and prayed that God would send a missionary in. It's during this exact same time I'm in Alaska as assistant pastor, yet I have New Guinea on my heart. There's people seeking truth. Again, people don't go to hell for not hearing People go to hell for rejecting truth or, as we looked at already, not loving truth. This is what Romans 1 teaches us. It's, it's the principle throughout the Bible. So as Paul followed God's will, God providentially brings him to this woman named Lydia. Just think of the love that God has for Lydia and for all of us. He organized all of this for that meeting at that riverside. And then as Paul, and the wording we have here when Paul talks with her, it's not that he was actually preaching a sermon at all. It, it, it implies he's having a conversation with her. In other words, he's just, it's just a one-on-one -on -one witnessing of the gospel. And she's hearing. Doesn't the Lord say throughout the Bible in many different places, especially Christ when he is preaching, how you have ears to hear, but you hear not. She was listening. She was listening. She heard what Paul said. The Lord opens her heart. 
So God's Spirit is working. She gets it. The understanding hits. As I read that and I was studying it, a sweet memory came to my mind. That was when Pastor John Norris was witnessing to me in that front pew. When I, when I couldn't leave that service, I went up there and he's giving me the gospel. And just all of a sudden, the understanding clicked. I understood what it meant that Christ died for me. It was the Lord opening my heart. He responded to truth. And I remember that at the end, he, I, didn't, I didn't even put my faith in Christ yet. I was getting ready to. I probably was saved at that moment, but the tears just started coming down. I got it. I understood. Lydia believes, and she is baptized. Not only is she baptized, the Bible tells us her household is also converted and baptized. You know what that tells us? She had a great influence on her family. Boy, mom and dad, you need that influence in your children's life for the things of God. By the way, this is considered, along with what happens at the conclusion of Acts chapter 16, shockingly enough, as a proof text for infant baptism. Nonsense. How how could you possibly build a substantial doctrine like that without it even being mentioned? Well, she had to have babies. No, I, I got news for you. It's very unlikely she had anyone close to an infant in her house or the jailer. She is an established... We're not dealing with a 25-year-old. We're not dealing with somebody who probably got married 17, 18, 16 years old. She's not 25. She's established and in charge. More than likely, she's in her 40s, if not her 50s. Her children are probably well-grown by this time. Not little babies. It's true of the jailer. They try to make the same case for the jailer. He had to have babies in his house. Um, the guy runs the jail. He wasn't hired two weeks ago at 22 years old. He's established. Apart from that, though, the Bible never says it. It's absurd. Baptism always throughout all of Scripture was when somebody made that conscious decision to place their faith in Christ. That follows baptism. Where that doctrine came in was when the gospel was getting twisted by the devil. You get into the thing of Constantine where they started association, uh, associating baptism with salvation. That somehow water saves you. It doesn't. And because of that, the concern came in for babies. Well, if baptism is what saves us, we had better baptize babies. No, it's not part of it. And until that young child can come to that point of clear understanding, they certainly are protected. Just as David mentioned when Bathsheba's baby died, I'll go to that child one day. This is not a proof text for infant baptism. That's ridiculous. And then we see Lydia's house and she constrained them. She's like, no, you're, st-, and it's a strong word used. It's the strongest version of that used. So as, as if they said, no, we're not staying here. She said, no, yes, you are. You guys are staying here. And they did. Now I want you to think of that as we look at this. Here's God. Paul's back in Antioch. His heart gets burdened really quick. I got to get back out there. He's thinking of these churches. No doubt that's in the Lord's will. He's always going to follow up with these these churches in Galatia. But the Lord also knew of a woman who was framed by Riverside right there. Paul thought, I've got to get into here. 
But Paul, no, you know what? There's a woman right there. And he directed probably the most amazing missionary team ever assembled to get to that place. And along that way, we learn so much about how we are to follow God's will. What you do is you make life about God. You allow him to open and close the doors as he sees fit. And you still love God. Don't put conditions on your love for God. God, if you do this for me, well, I'd, I'd really like it. God, if you'd make me an NFL player. God, if you would, you'd just give me this, man, I would love you. No. Just love God because he's God. Make it all about him. Don't make it about your name, your status, what you've done or what you do. Make it simply about God. There's nothing greater than that. Nothing. And then God will direct. As he directs, what he's going to start doing? Providing what you need. Who put the right people in your life? Paul, you need somebody to write down what's getting ready to happen to you. Here's Luke. Paul, I'm going to take you right to a key place for the continent of Europe. And by the way, as you know, this church stays one of his closest, Church of Philippi. It's one of the most special churches that Paul has is this church in Philippi. And you can see, by the way, when you get in the epistle, they definitely had some strong women in that church because he has to settle a fight between two of them when he does write the epistle. <laughs> but life is all about God's will. He doesn't make it difficult. It's difficult because your life isn't all about God. That's just the truth. With heads bowed and eyes closed. 